All right. Now would be a very good time to pray for the children's workers. So uh, if we see them running through here in about 10 minutes, somebody go help them. So uh, we are so thankful. We always want to say every week how much we enjoy having kids here, how much we have enjoy having families here. Kids are never an inconvenience. They're never a hindrance. They are part of our worship. They're part of our families, and we worship together as families. When you were coming in, if we had enough of them, hopefully you received one of these uh, bulletins, one of these worship guides, and there was a green piece of paper in there that just lists some things that are coming up at First Baptist. If you're looking for a way to get involved in church, you can look at a piece of paper like that and say, you know what, my family, our calendar is already full. We just don't have time to add more things to our our schedule, you know. Ain't nobody got time for that. We don't have time to add more stuff. But the reality is we're not wanting you to add more stuff to your calendar. These are opportunities. These are opportunities for you and your family to say, you know what, we fill our calendar with a lot of things, but we want to fill our calendar with things that point our family and our kids toward the hope of Christ. We want our family and our kids to be involved in a church. I want my grandkids to be involved in a church. And so take this home, put this on your refrigerator, give it to a neighbor. It's just a way to kind of know what's going on uh, in, in our church. Also, as you came in, the, the main worship guide that you received, on the back of that are just some notes uh, for the sermon, if you would like to turn it over and follow along, there are a couple of ideas that we're going to follow along with as we go through our time the, this morning. And just to remind you, next Sunday, there is that lunch. If you're looking for a place to get involved with at a church, we would love for you to stay after church next Sunday and have lunch with us and hear some more about what's happening at First Baptist and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you haven't been baptized and you saw these guys being baptized this morning, and you say, you know what, I need to make public that I'm a follower of Jesus. I need to take that step. I would love to talk with you about that. Talk about how God is at work in, in your life. This morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 27. Feel free, if you have a phone and you have access to the Bible on your phone, feel free to bring, bring that out. And we're going to be in Matthew Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and so your Bible, if you look in the table of contents, is divided into an Old Testament and a New Testament. New Testament tells the story of when Jesus came to earth, and Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. So if you need to find that in your phone or in your Bible in front of you, take a look at that. We're going to be in Matthew 27. The words will also be up on the screen in a few minutes. I want to tell you up front this morning on Easter Sunday that there's a lot of things we could do with our time right now. But we are going to spend most of our time over the next 20 or 25 minutes looking at Scripture. I hope you didn't come this morning to hear an opinion. I hope you didn't come this morning to hear a word from a person to make you feel better. We're going to go back and we're going to look at God's Word, just verse after verse after verse to say, what does the Bible say about Easter? What does the Bible say about who Jesus was and why He came to die? And we're thinking as a church about the Sermon on the Mount, which is a sermon that Jesus gave in the book of Matthew. We've been talking about that over several weeks. And our goal this morning is to say, what does the Sermon on the Mount, what is the things that Jesus said, how does it connect with the story of Easter? And we're going to be tying those two together this morning. How does the Sermon on the Mount connect with the story of Easter? So Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to start 
in verse 15. We don't do this every Sunday morning, but if you would, would you stand with me in honor of reading God's Word? And plus, it gives you a chance to stretch your legs before we get into the, uh, get into the sermon this morning. Matthew 27, and we're going to start in verse 15. Now, at the feast, the governor, and you're going to find out that the governor's name was Pilate, The governor was accustomed to release for the people any one prisoner whom they wanted. At that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Barabbas was a murderer. He was actually a rebel against the government, and he was being held for that reason. So when the people gathered together, it says in verse 17, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Barabbas, and even some of your Bibles may say Jesus Barabbas, as if Jesus was his given name, Barabbas as well. Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ. For he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. Verse 19, while Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. We know that Pilate hadn't been married very long because he didn't listen to his wife. He listened to a group of other men. So it's certain that Pilate had not been married very long. Verse 21, the governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said, crucify him. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they kept shouting all the more, saying, crucify him. Father, we thank you for your word. We've come this morning to understand the story of Easter. Why is it that Jesus died on the cross? Why was it such a big deal? And then what is the purpose of the resurrection and understanding our own lives? God, would you make that clear to us this morning as we look into your word? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Jesus said something in the Sermon on the Mount. If you're curious about looking at the Sermon on the Mount, it's in this same book of Matthew, but it's back in chapters 5 through 7. Jesus said something in the Sermon on the Mount earlier in Matthew. He said, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. You don't need to worry about those things. And it's okay if you hear something like that and you say, seriously, don't worry? What about cancer? What about my job? What about my marriage? What about my kids? I didn't know worry until I became a parent. And my kids aren't even old enough to get into real trouble now. They just get into pretend trouble. And I haven't even gotten to the real parenting worries yet. What about all of these things going on in life? And Jesus comes along and says, do not worry. The reality is that we live in a world where people deal with worry. Every one of us came into the building this morning with something we were worried about. It might be something small, it might be something large, but we deal with worry. And we have all kinds of ways of coping with worry. But one of the most common ways that we cope with worry is we try to just laugh it off. Because I've said it before. If I don't laugh about this, I'm going to cry about this and fall apart. And so we have a tendency to say, you know what, I'm just going to have to grin and bear it. I'm just going to have to get through this situation somehow. 
And that's not entirely bad. The idea of laughing, the idea of thinking positive thoughts, of not being held down by these things that you worry about, it's not bad. But my concern is, is that it sounds too much like a lot of contemporary preaching that just says, think happy thoughts, everything will be okay. But the reality is, is that happy thoughts without a firm foundation will lead to fake smiles and broken hearts. And there are a lot of religious people that wear fake smiles and inside have broken hearts. Because they tried to think happy thoughts, they tried to deal with the things that they're dealing with in life, but there was no foundation for that. And what I want to tell you this morning, and this is the point of what we're doing this morning, is that the foundation for what Jesus said when he said, do not worry, the foundation for that is the story of Easter. After he came along and said, do not worry, he died a death and then experienced a resurrection that provides the foundation for not worrying. Here in Matthew 27, Pilate is preparing to release for the people one of the prisoners. It was either going to be this man named Barabbas who was a murderer, who was a rebel against the country, or it was going to be Jesus. And we can see that Pilate almost wants to see Jesus released. Pilate realizes that his wife is not happy about what's going to happen, and if mommy ain't happy, nobody's happy, and so he wants Jesus to be released, but the religious leaders come and they put pressure on him, and they say, no, release Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And our sense of what is just says, why not let the innocent man go free and make the rebel, the murderer, receive his due punishment? But here's the reality. If Barabbas, if Jesus, if Jesus goes free, it's not just Barabbas who stays in prison, we all stay in prison. Because when you read this story in Matthew 27, we are Barabbas. When you read the Easter story, we are Barabbas. You may have seen that movie that came out a few years ago, the football movie called We Are Marshall. starred Matthew McConaughey before he gave philosophy speeches and car commercials and, and things like that. But uh, it, it was a story about the Marshall University Thundering Herd football team and how they reacted to this incredible tragedy. And they created this chant where they would chant, We are Marshall. And it was a rallying cry that they could deal with the difficulties that they were facing as a university. Guess what our rallying cry is this morning? It's not that inspiring. Our rallying cry is, We are Barabbas. We are the prisoner. We are the one destined for the death penalty. And if Jesus goes free... We die. We are stuck in our sins. We are stuck in the prison of our transgressions. If Jesus goes free, we are Barabbas. But if Jesus takes our place, we are able to be set free. Here's what it says in Scripture. It says clearly throughout Scripture, Isaiah 53 verse 6, We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. Daniel chapter 9 verse 5. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 5. We were dead in our transgressions. Romans chapter 6 verse 23. The wages of sin is death. 
And the story of Easter, the story of this story about Barabbas, is that Jesus died for us. Now, I want to deal with something really quickly here. And and this is mainly the guys, not just the guys, but this is a particular guy problem. As guys, we have trouble allowing other people to do things for us. We don't mind doing something for somebody else, but it's hard to allow somebody to do something for us. And one of the reasons, one of the reasons that a lot of men have trouble with church And one of the reasons that a lot of men have trouble with Christianity is they struggle, they trip over the idea that Christ died for us. Because as a guy, we think, if I tried just a little bit harder, if I worked a little bit harder, if I was just a little bit better person, I could solve my problem. But the story of Christianity is not that we just need to be a little bit better person. The story of Christianity is that we were dead, and because of Jesus, we are made alive again. And so as men, we can say that this is not a matter. Christianity is not a crutch for those who don't take responsibility for their lives. Christianity is for those who admit, I am dead in my sins. I am a rebel imprisoned away from God, and the only way that I can have life is if Jesus Christ takes my place. And that's not a matter of not taking responsibility for your life. That's a matter of admitting that apart from Christ, we are dead. Listen to these verses in Scripture. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. I think we've lost these on the screen, but just, just listen to them. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Christ died for us. And he died for our sin. The sins that we have committed that enslave us to a prison like Barabbas's, Christ died to take on those sins. But not just to take on our sins. On your notes it says after take on our sins that Christ died for our shame. Here's the reality of Christ's death. That when you were standing in line at the unemployment office or you were standing in line at the food stamp office, Christ stands in your place. When you are being doxxed on Facebook or your stuff is being spread about you on social media, Jesus says, I will take your account. I will take that upon myself. When your kids rebel and people start talking about you, when your family shows up in the newspaper for all the wrong reasons, Christ takes on that shame. Christ died for us. Prison was not just uncomfortable. Prison was shameful. And the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just painful, it was meant to be embarrassing, to be full of shame. People were crucified without clothes out in public. It was meant to bring shame on the person. And Jesus says, I have taken that. I have taken your sin, I have taken your shame, I have taken your death. But not just taking that, in response, he gives us his life, He gives us freedom. He gives us his righteousness. Listen to some of these verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. 
For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then Romans chapter 6, verse 8 through 10. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. We don't know exactly what Barabbas was experiencing when he was in that prison. But outside, he would have heard people yelling. He would have heard the governor talking. He would have heard the governor's wife probably come by and say, don't let that man go, let Jesus go. If nothing else, Barabbas was worried. Because he was about to face the death penalty, and the only way he was getting out of that situation is if someone else took his place. And along comes Jesus. And if Jesus was just human, he could have only taken Barabbas' place. But if Jesus was the Son of God, who came to die for our sins, for the sins of every person, then he doesn't just take Barabbas' place, but he takes the place of every one of us. And we're able to have life because he did that. Because he died, but didn't remain dead, he rose again. Listen to Matthew 28. If you want to go back to your phone or back to your Bible, here's the Easter story from Matthew chapter 28. After the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Whatever you are worrying about, whatever you are facing in life, whether it's cancer, whether it's job, whether it's marriage, whether it's kids, whether it's something entirely different, the one emotion, the one thing that you do not have to face in the middle of that is fear. The one emotion we do not have to have because of Easter is fear. There's a psalm called Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm. And in the middle of Psalm 23, it says, even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, because we realize in life we go through the valley and not around it. Many of you are in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death right now. But right after that in Psalm 23, it says, even if we go through the valley of the shadow of death, you know what the next phrase is? is, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Because of the cross, 
And because of the resurrection, whatever you were facing in life, we do not have to be afraid because Jesus died for us. And in response, we received his life and his freedom and his righteousness and his forgiveness. And we are given this new life to live, not in fear, but in worship and obedience and in trust of him. I want to read something to you this morning. I received an email a couple of weeks ago, and it was signed from your long-lost classmate or from your classmate from long ago. I don't remember exactly how it was, but it started out like this. Owen, we haven't seen each other in years, but something happened to me a while back which continues to affect me daily. When you receive emails like that, you always wonder what's, what's coming next. But uh, my friend said this. I thought I was a Christian in September 2012. I owned a Bible and could answer some Bible questions. I even took my family to church a couple of times a year and prayed if I really wanted something from God. This is from a guy that I graduated high school with. My marriage was like my faith, well-intentioned but based on willpower. My job was like that too. I could work hard and get things done. I could really make things happen. I had success at my job and rose to a good position even without a degree. I thought I was smart, someone who experienced the benefits of making good choices. But inside, I was completely miserable. I had no friends or families within driving distance. I came to hate my job and the people I worked with. My wife was so busy with our child that she didn't have time for me. I felt alone and useless. I had learned in the Navy that drinking made me feel young and alive, so that is how I handled my problems. I would drink heavily on the weekends and encourage others to join me, sometimes even people I had just met. I felt like I would do just about anything to mask my loneliness and depression. Eventually, my wife had enough and left. Crushed, I hit my knees and prayed like never before. I asked God to help me, to relieve me of the drinking and depression. My wife did return, and I joined AA. I went to meetings for a few months, and it helped me understand why I drank, but that was about it. There was still emptiness inside me. At my wife's suggestion, we visited a local Baptist church. We both felt so at home that we decided to attend a new membership meeting after our first service. Over the next six months, I heard the gospel, listened to sermons, and went to Sunday school. My desire to drink was beginning to lift and the depression was waning, but I was still frustrated with life. At my wife's suggestion, I attended a men's retreat. One night at the retreat, I was alone in my car with my Bible. Our senior pastor had been preaching about the importance of a life verse, so I had been looking for one, but that night one found me. I was reading the Sermon on the Mount, and I read Jesus' words about not being anxious about life. I read how the Father cares so much that we can stop worrying about worldly things and seek his kingdom. I felt what was surely the Spirit of God come over me, and all of a sudden I realized what it means for God to be God, and that I could not handle the problems of my life on my own strength. I finally understood the good news of Jesus. I realized for the first time that I must trust him and follow him. I knew that I would never be able not to follow Jesus after that moment. I was changed in that moment. I became a follower of Christ. The next day I returned home feeling completely different. 
When I walked through the door, my wife was crying from just having fought with her mother over the phone. I held her tight and prayed with her for the first time in our marriage. We stood in our living room, hugging and crying and praying. I told her that I had made a real commitment to follow Jesus from now on. My wife shortly thereafter became a follower of Jesus, and it has changed our future. I am so thankful that my children will grow up in a household committed to the Lord. We now have joy and hope. I was changed forever by God's grace. His glory is my purpose. The hope of Easter, that Christ died for us, that whatever your brokenness looks like, whether it's alcohol, whether it's a marriage that's falling apart, whether it's kids that are going sideways, whether it's an illness that you didn't see coming, whatever is weighing on you right now, Christ has taken that. He died for that in our place so that we can have hope, so that we can have life, so that we can have righteousness, so that we can live and worship of him. If you're here this morning on Easter and you say, yes, I believe that. I am a follower of Jesus. The most important thing that you can do is preach that good news to yourself every day. The most powerful thing that you can do is you can wake up tomorrow morning and say, it is true. Christ died for me and I have his life and I'm going to live today for him. Here's the second thing I would ask you to do. Pray for people in your life who you know are burdened by the things of this world. You know they laugh off worry, but inside they're crumbling. Pray for those people. Can I ask you right now, think of who those people are that you can pray for, that they would know that Christ died for them in their place. And that he desires to give them life and hope and resurrection. And if you're here this morning and you've come out of reverence for the Easter holiday or you've come because you enjoy being with family, maybe you're like my friend Cade. You you own a Bible. You know the answers to some Bible questions. But inside you know that you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. The story and the hope of Easter is that Christ died for you. Not out of a lack of responsibility, but because in our sins we are dead. Christianity is not about bad people acting good. Christianity is about dead people coming to life. And the most incredible thing that can happen in your life is that you turn to Christ, you look to him, and realize that he will give you life. He will set you free. We are Barabbas in need of being set free. And Christ is able to set us free because of the cross and the resurrection. Here in just a minute, I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, we're going to sing a song together that says, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. During that song, if you need someone to pray for you, if you say, I don't know if I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a wreck I need help. I'm looking for something. We want to pray for you. There are going to be people upstairs. If you're in the balcony, you don't have to feel awkward about coming down. There are going to be people upstairs for you to pray with. If you're down here and you're facing the things of life and you're burdened with worry and you want to pray with someone, we're going to be here to pray for you. Or maybe the most powerful thing you can do right now 
is pray for someone else. Pray for someone that you know needs the hope of Christ. We're going to sing this song together as an act of celebration, as an act of worship this morning on Easter. Let me pray for us as we prepare for that. God, I pray that the message this morning from your word was simple. Not oversimplified, not simplistic, but God, I pray that it was simple because the reality is very simple, though it's very hard to respond to. That we are Barabbas. We are imprisoned and enslaved to sin. We sit under the death penalty. It sounds harsh, but the reality is that we sit under the death penalty as rebels, as those who have turned against you. And it's not a situation we can buy ourselves out of. It's not a situation we can work ourselves out of. It's not a situation we can laugh ourselves out of. But God, Christ took our place. And he didn't just die for us, but he rose again. Father, may we know that hope, the story that was shared this morning. God, I pray that if there are dads and husbands here this morning who know that it's time to become a follower of Jesus, to turn their lives over to you so that they can lead their families. God, I pray that you would do that work. If there are women here, teenagers here who are broken by the things of life, maybe they've been shamed recently, maybe they've been hurt recently, God, I pray that they would know your healing, that because Christ lives, we can face everything that comes in lives in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.